All right, let's, uh, I need a pulpit and the chair and all that kind of stuff, y'all don't mind? Um, thanks. Um, but anyway, let's pray together, shall we? In the quietness of this moment, would you ask the Lord uh, to speak to you, speak to your heart? Would you thank him for um, him speaking already uh, through the music this morning? Father, we ask you right now to bless our hearts, open up our hearts, help us to hear your word. In fact, the rest of the service, Lord, we pray that you would just be Lord over everything. And Lord, we pray that you would give us hope as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do want to open up our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. And as we do that, <clears throat> I had uh, one of our staff members inform me that one of his sons asked him, a in fact, it was Chris Blanton, his son asked him a question. And he asked the question, where is heaven? And so, in his most articulate manner, Chris uh, replied to him, you need to ask the pastor. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you, you started thinking about things like that a little bit. You know, when you go to a funeral and you're sort of face-to-face -face with your own mortality, whether you know the person that well or not, if you really know the person, you want to believe that there's an afterlife. You want to believe that you're going to see them again. But sometimes maybe you ask yourself the question, do I believe that because it's a conviction from the Bible, or do I believe that because I really want to believe that? I really want to believe that this is not all there is. Edgar Allan Poe was uh, very well understood and sometimes misunderstood as well. And he wrote a book <clears throat> called The Pit and the Pendulum. And in this book, short story, he wrote about really his own autobiography and how he felt about life. And he said he had a dream that this, he was asleep, I mean, in bed rather, not asleep, and he was laying on his back in this pendulum with a huge blade, you've seen them before uh, on, in the movies, swinging back and forth, getting closer and closer and closer. And he knew he was going to die, but he had no hope. There was no hope for him in the future. Well, the church at Corinth was kind of experiencing that same type of thing. They believed in the resurrection of Christ, but they weren't sure about their own resurrection. It had to do with their culture. It had to do with their, some of their background. But they were struggling with this belief. Uh, in fact, I said last week, Ravi Zacharias, the apologist and, um, and um, scholar, author, asked the question about Easter. He said, there's really only two questions about Easter, about the resurrection. One, did it really happen? And number two, so what? Well, the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we looked at that on Easter Sunday, and we found out that from that passage of Scripture, the Bible teaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here, uh, understand, the church at Corinth already believed that. He was setting the stage for something other than that. He was saying, so what? How does that really affect your life? In verse 12, we begin to find the so what, and it really runs through the rest of the chapter. And verse 12 says, now cry, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Here was the question right here. That, there, that was it. He was saying to them, now, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why don't you believe in your own resurrection? Because it's the same resurrection. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's not just two Easter's. It's two Easter's, but it's really one Easter. And so as we look at this passage, we understand that what we believe about the future 
has a huge, makes a huge difference on how we live our life. And Christians have a hope that will help us to face anything. Anything. How is that? Well, we're going to look at this passage in uh, three parts. Uh, verses 20 through 23, we're going to begin with that, with the certainty of the resurrection. Then we're going to follow with the victory of the resurrection. Finally, the consequences are really the challenges because of the resurrection. So first of all, he says in verse 20, he said about the certainty of the resurrection. He says, but now, hey, everything turns on that. Before he says, hey, if, if Christ is not risen, you don't have this, you don't have this, you're still in your sin. Verse 19 sums it up. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied, but now everything changes. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. He's talking here about the first fruits of the Old Testament. Now, we could read Exodus, Leviticus, and all those things about the grain offerings and, and the grain festivals. But they had, you know, back then, they didn't have computer companies. They didn't really have hospitals. They didn't have um, uh, 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 engineering firms. Nothing like that at all. They were farmers. And so being farmers, they relied on their harvests. And what they did was take the first fruits. They would come in take the first fruits of the harvest, they would take the grain, they would take it to the market, and then the buyers would uh, look at the grain and they would discover how much they wanted to pay for it. Then, after they settled on the price, they would go back and get the same, out of the same harvest, the rest of the harvest, and they would sell it to the buyer. Now, the reason why this is an important analogy is this. When you have the people of Corinth knew, when you are a farmer and you had a field of grain, and you had the first fruits of that grain, and you took it to the harvest, or took it to the buyer, and then came back and got the rest of the harvest. It's the same harvest. It's the same field. It's the exact same harvest. It's just given to them at two different times. One's the first fruits, the rest of it follows. His argument to the church at Corinth was simply this: if Jesus Christ has been raised, that's it. You're going to be raised too. Same harvest. He's the first fruits of the harvest. It's the same field, the same harvest, the resurrection of Christ just happens at two different places. Now we can think about, first of all, you know, a good, a good analogy to this, maybe not the best, is what happened with the smallpox vac vaccination years ago. Back during the Middle Ages, there are more people dying of smallpox than they were dying in wars. And in 1796, a guy by the name of Edward <clears throat> Jenner came up and developed a smallpox that vaccine. And by 19, the 1940s, the smallpox, smallpox was completely eradicated in North America and in Europe. Then, in 1967, only 30 countries still suffered the ravages of smallpox. By 1970, there were only 17 countries. And then finally, in 1980, they formally announced that it had been cured. Now, the point was this that the, the cure was there, but it had different stages along the way. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The very moment we leave this life, we're in eternity, but we don't have the, the, uh, the glorified body as yet. The, the Jesus has not come back again as yet. The millennial kingdom has not happened as yet. There are different aspects of this and a different look to it. We're going to be looking at that next week. But the point that he's trying to make here is this. It's the, it's the first fruits. And now it's the same harvest, exactly the same harvest as Jesus Christ himself. And I notice what it says here 
in verse uh, 21. He says, for since by one man came death. He's talking here, about, of course, about Adam. Verse 22, he elaborates on this. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are in Christ at his coming. In Romans 5.12, it says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men for all of sin. Now, it's simply saying this. Adam introduced sin to this world. And when he disobeyed the Lord, all of us who... Uh, he, he contaminated, you might say, the entire human race because everybody who's born of Adam has the seed not only of human nature within them but also a sin nature. Now, please don't get confused here. You, you do not really suffer or you're not accountable for Adam's sin. We're just accountable for our own. But the sin nature, that tendency that we have to rebel against God, to want to go our own way, to be selfish with our life, to be prideful with our life, to be, want to be the God of our own life. I mean, that was Adam's sin, wasn't it? He just simply wanted to be like God. That's what Satan promised him. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to be just like God. And he became kind of the idol or the, the self-worshipper that we struggle with even today. But he says that Christ made the difference. Romans 5.19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord because we've made that decision. The Bible says our sins have been forgiven. Jesus Christ has come into our heart. We, we're going to follow the first fruits. God has seen, the Father has seen the first fruits. The Bible says he was satisfied with that. How do we know that? Because we have the receipt. The receipt is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, that was authenticate not only what he did on the cross, but a signal to the Father in heaven that he accepted the harvest that is to come. And now automatically those who have named the name of Jesus Christ, who are followers of Jesus Christ, believers, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will follow him in that harvest. That's the message of this chapter. Give the Lord a round of applause just because he deserves it. So what is the victory of this? Let's look down in verse 24. It says to us, then comes the end when he, hands, uh, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when, his, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, talking about satanic forces, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. He's really talking here, we think, about the millennial reign, a thousand years in between all this. But then in verse 26, he says, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. We talked a little bit about, a lot about death last week. And the great enemy here, the last enemy, the Bible says, is death. Notice what it says in verse 54. We'll look at this more closely in a couple of weeks. But it says, death is swallowed up in victory in verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, we have a different attitude toward death than they, that they had back in that day. In fact, we have a different outlook toward death uh, that our forefathers even had back 100, 150 years ago. It used to be when you were on the farm and somebody died in your family, you would uh, create a, uh, build a pine box, that's where you get that kind of phrase, and they would put them actually in their home. And people would come by and they would have to pretty much immediately bury them and they would bury them in the backyard. Everybody would see them. Uh, the, the kids were there in the home when mom or dad died, very 
horrible, sad situation, but they accepted death in a different way. Today, death kind of freaks us out. You have all kinds of things going on. Uh, funerals, you know, you just have the burial before. You know, you have the cremation, you have this, you have that. And you have people teaching us today that death is just kind of a part of life. It's just kind of along, you just kind of go along the journey. You know, this is just another step in the journey of life. You were a drop in the ocean, and now you're just simply uh, going down the waterfalls of life and the rivers of life, and you're ending back up in the ocean. Nothing to be afraid of, nothing to fear, but deep down, we're, we're still scared to death. We're, we're still scared of what is in the afterlife. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Christian during the World War II era, said death is the final festival on a road to freedom. And he's a Christian saying, hey, look, I'm not afraid of death because I know what it's going to bring me in the afterlife. Yet Thomas Hobbes, the skeptic, said, I'm about to go to my final journey, a great leap in the dark. Epicurus said this, the, the Greek philosopher once said, what people fear most about death is not that it is annihilation, meaning you, you don't exist anymore. It's not that it's a, annihilation, but that it's not. Now think about that for just a moment. If we were going into a situation where if you're dead, you're dead, and, and you're not going to know anything, you know, what's the fear there? I mean, there'd be regrets, you know, gee, I'd rather live and all that, but there would not be the fear. The fear is we don't know what's there. Why? Well, Peter Berger, the sociologist from um, Austria, wrote a book, and he said this. He said, we live in a world without windows. And he didn't believe in the afterlife, and so as he was looking out his, his house or his car or whatever you want to, to uh, have an analogy about this, he was not seeing anything beyond his life. And he says, how can we not fear death? How can we not be apprehensive and just be, even be scared to death when we don't even know what's out there? We live in a world without windows. Now, you can imagine right now, most of you uh, have a car, driven a car, or you've been in a car. And so if you're, you're driving a car and that you have windows. You have a windshield, you have a back window, you have side windows, you have mirrors all around so you can see out the back. Maybe you have one of those things where you can actually, uh, you know, got the camera and you can, uh, you know, back out. But you have windows all around. You know where you're going. You can get in the car, you can go and look out the windshield and look forward and see traffic coming. You can see the next turn, the left turn, the right turn. You can see everything around you because you have windows. You have confidence in how you're driving. But what if you had a car that didn't have any windows? How confident would you be with that kind of driving? Well, I can't see where I'm going, you know, so I'm just driving along and boom, you know, there's another one and boom. You know, I mean, there'd be car crashes, there'd be everything. And we're afraid to move. I mean, why in the world would you want to move in a car that didn't have windows? You didn't, couldn't see anything outside of the, the, uh, the cabin of that truck or the insides of that car. And you were just sitting there thinking, how can I move forward? How can I go backward? How can I go right, left? What, how, how can I even move? Because I can't see. And Peter Berger was saying, you can't. You can't move because we live in a world without windows. But the Christian does live in a world with windows. And Paul is saying, look, when you defeat sin, you defeat death. He says that the wages of sin is death. You want to know what death is all about? It has nothing to do with life. It was never meant that God would ever have us pass from this world when he created Adam and Eve. They sin, and the wage, the paycheck for sin is death. 
And it's not annihilation. It is separation. When the Bible says, for, ex for example, when uh, God um, was coming to Adam and Eve, and he said, the same day you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. Satan says, you're not going to die. You're going to be just like God. So they ate. They didn't die. You say, aha, Satan was right. They didn't die. Well, they didn't die physically. But they were separated at that point in their relationship with God. See, death is a separation. When I, when I die <clears throat> from this world, my soul, my spirit, separates from my body. It doesn't mean I don't exist anymore. It's a separation. And it's a spiritual, it's eternal separation uh, from God if I don't know the Lord. And so when we're talking about death, we're talking about a wage. A wage of sin is death. You do away with sin, then you do away with death. Notice what it says in verse 27. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now the whole idea of the picture here is when you have a king, you had a throne, and he made sure all the subjects would kneel before him, and he would be a much, much higher than anyone else. So everybody was below the king's feet. He says he's put everything under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he, is, he has accepted who put all things in subjection to him. How do we know he's accepted him? How do we know that he's accepted the first fruits? Because of the resurrection. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. And we can see that in the book of Revelation. When the Son of God hands the scroll uh, to the Lord, to the Father. But he says this, so that God may be all in all. What's the goal here? So the world would know that God is sovereign, that he is all in all. So we look at this, and we ask ourselves the question, do you have windows? And I'm not talking about the, the computer now. All right? Some of you are kind of confused, I can see. Do you drive your car without windows? Do you have your life? Do you drive your life? without being able to see into the future. Remember what we said. If you, can, if you know your future, it'll change the way you live. It's going to look like if you can see what's out there from your car, it's going to change the way you drive. It's going to change the way you move. And so we look at this, and we understand, thirdly, this morning, that the challenges we face because of the resurrection. Verse 29, by the way, is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible. To interpret, There are about 40 different interpretations of this verse. And so what I'm about to give you is not going to satisfy you. I understand that. I'm not sure it really satisfies me. But here's what, if you get the background of, of the church at Corinth, they were honoring people. Remember what they said in chapter 3. Some of you are Paul, some of you are Apollos, you know, and those kind of things. And so they were kind of taking sides, you know, honoring different uh, people that uh, meant a lot to them in their life. And we know they were confused on some doctrinal issues as well. And so what they were evidently doing is that because it doesn't teach baptizing of the dead anywhere else in the Bible. And so it's really, you know, it's just a simple fact of a science of how to interpret the Bible. You know, the most important things are mentioned in the Bible many, many times. The lesser important things are mentioned very few times. And this would be an important thing if you could be baptized for the dead especially since baptism really doesn't save you. And so what, what was that all about? Well, when they baptize, we baptize somebody, we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptize the way that God told us to baptize in the Scripture. They were doing that, I think, but they were also baptizing in honor of someone else. In other words, like 
I'm, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but let's remember Brother Paul as we baptize uh, John right here. And so they baptized him in honor of the saints. Now, he, his question is very simply this. If there is no resurrection, why are you doing that for the dead? They're just dead. If there's no resurrection, why are, are you baptizing in the name of some, some apostle or some brother who has died as a martyr's death that really inspired you? Why would you do that if they're dead? And not only are they dead, but they don't exist anymore. Here, he's saying something very important to us, though. And that is this. The resurrection ties us to the salvation experience. It ties us to our loved ones that has gone, have gone before us. When we have those funerals, when we're, when we're at the bedside of a, a loved one that's about to pass away, there's a bond there, he says. There's a bond with the dead. There's a bond with those who are dying. There's a bond there because we are going to see them one day. They are, if they trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord, we are going to see them one day in heaven. This is not the end by any stretch of the imagination. Then he says this in verse uh, 30, uh, 30, uh, one, 30 and following. He says that the resurrection acts, acts excuse me, as a moral safeguard to our lives. He says in verse 30, Why are you also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in, in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If for some human motives I have fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. And so why, why would the resurrection help me with that? Well, the resurrection of Christ shows us something that is precious. Are you ready for this? Something we often forget. We say, oh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that means sin has been put to death and death has been put to death. And man, I'm going to heaven, that's great. And I'm forgiven of all my sins and I don't have to pay for them. That's, oh, but you missed the main point. The main point is this. The resurrection means that Jesus Christ, are you ready for this? Tell me you're ready. Thank you. Now I can do this. Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? And you say, what does that mean? Remember about the birth of Jesus. There will be a son born to you. Your name, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, it's more than just going to heaven. It's a relationship that we have with God right now. Now, if I'm experiencing that relationship, then I don't want to mess around with sin because if I do, it'll mess up my fellowship with God. I, I'm not going to feel a peace anymore. I'm not going to feel joy in my heart anymore. I'm not going to be able to go and open up the Bible and have God to really speak to my heart. If there's bitterness in my heart, if there's anger in my heart, if, if, if uh, there's unforgiveness in my heart, if there's protest in my heart, if there's lust in my heart, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I don't want that. I'm not going to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, gentleness, meekness, kindness, long-suffering. He says, I'm not going to have those things. Now, here's the, our problem. Okay, you, you want to know why we, our main struggle. Let me give you an example. Some of you like to go to the beach, and I could give any example of this. Some of you like to go to the beach for vacation. Some of you like to go to the mountains. I like them both. But a few years back, Pam and I had the opportunity to go to Boone, North Carolina, and it was uh, kind of cold, but not it, was, it snowed a little bit while we were there. But up in the mountains, there was beautiful snow-capped mountains. And uh, uh, beautiful backyard. 
I mean, when you looked out from the deck of this um, house, this little cabin, you could see the valley. You could see the mountains. You could see snow becoming on top of the mountains. And it, it was just breathtaking. It was so relaxing. Nice, cool breeze on your face. It was just great. I mean, you could think to yourself, oh, I could just live here forever. But the problem is, now we even consider, boy, could we buy this house? Well, no, but, you know, could we do that? You know, you've done the same thing. You know, you've been on, oh, wow, what would it take? Because you just love it. But here's the thing. If I bought that house, or if you bought that house, you would love this view. You would live, you'd die for this view. The problem is, is that when you buy any house, it buys you. Do you, do you hear me? You got to go down in the basement, not here, but in the mountains. You got to go down in the basement and you got to fix the plumbing. Something's wrong with the plumbing. It's leaking again. There's mildew on the walls. I've got to repaint this. I've got to repaint the walls. I've got to go in here and, and do something with the carpet. The refrigerators and the garbage disposals on the blink. And all this going on, and we think to ourselves, wow, man, I, I just can't even enjoy my house. In fact, I don't even want to go back there. You know, I, just, I don't even want to go. I mean, oh, no, it's vacation time. You bought this house, boy, it's beautiful. What's the problem? We spend so much time in the basement that we don't go out on the deck. If we just went out on the deck, just for a little while, we think, hey, yeah, man, I'm, I'm rested now. I'm renewed. Man, what a view. I love this house. I love it so much I'm going to go back and fix the plumbing. But we don't go out on the deck. And because we don't go out on the deck, we don't love the house anymore. We don't appreciate the house anymore. Now, what's the moral to the story is, is this. We live the Christian life, and the Christian life is better than being lost. But the Christian life has its challenges. God wants us to grow in the faith. And just like you have trials, the church has trials. Why? To mature us in the faith. And so you've got all kinds of, there's maintenance going on all the time in life. There's time with the kids. There's time fixing the house. Or there's, there's time, I, I've got to take the car uh, to the dealership or to the mechanic and get it fixed. There's this, 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 and this. And you think, wow, you know, this Christian life, I don't know if it's even worth it or not. And I don't think I'm going to go to church anymore or I'm not going to do this. And, and we, we fail to go out on the deck. I'm not talking about physically. But we fail to open up the Word of God and have fellowship with God with us. That Jesus is alive not just to get us to heaven, but Jesus is alive to have fellowship with us right now. And so we think, well, you know, it's, you know the Christian life is kind of tough. I'm disappointed. God disappointed me. He didn't come through for me. I, you know, I got mad at this person, mad at that person. Have you, have you been on the deck? You're spending too long in the basement. You're spending too long away. Have you come out on the deck? And Paul says, look, go, go on the deck. Uh, go out and, and look at the ocean, at the beach, from your balcony. Look at it. It's, really, that's just why you're here. This is what it's all about. It's not about the basement. It's not about the place. You have to do those things to live this life. But the real life is on your knees and on your face with an open Bible, having fellowship with God. And he says, look, because of that, it's a safeguard to you. Notice what it says here in verse uh, uh, 32. He says, if from human motives I have found wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? I might as well just go on singing. 
He's saying, look, I've been persecuted. In fact, he says in the verse before that, I die daily. He was saying, look, I'm having a rough time. I'm having a rough time. You can read about the trials of Paul's life. But he says, getting down to it, he says this, the resurrection of Christ makes today's trials bearable. They're bearable because you can look through the windows and you can see that you have a future. You can look through the windows and see where you're going. You can see kind of where, you can't see way down the road over the hills and around the corners, but you can see through that windshield. And when you can see it and you can believe it, you think, you know, it's all worth it. Listen to what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. Would you look this way? I just close with this story. You know, you're going through hurts, pains, trials, and everything sort of gets us back off in the basement. And maybe this story uh, helps a little bit. There was, um, there's a story by the name of Hope, Hope for the Flower. And it's sort of like uh, Dr. Seuss for adults, I guess. And uh, it's a story about a, a caterpillar named Stripe. And uh, this caterpillar, Stripe, uh, has a friend, and they decide, man, what's going on here? And they see all these caterpillars going up this pillar. And, uh, man, it's really high, and they see people knocking one another, try to get to the top, and, wow, must be something really good up there. Must be great. So they start climbing. They start pushing people out of the way, you know, or caterpillars out of the way. And uh, they start falling to the ground. They get, to the top, they get near the top, and they hear a conversation going on. One caterpillar says, I can't believe it. There's nothing up here. And the other one says, shh, they'll hear you. So what do you mean they'll hear me? There's nothing up here. He said, yeah, but every caterpillar down there wants to be where we are. So what? Then Stripe begins to look at around his surroundings, and he sees all these pillars that he'd never seen before with caterpillars trying to get up to the pillar. And he notices, because he's higher up, that there's nothing on top. There we are striving. There we are working. There we are going, 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 going with something else on the throne, climbing up the wrong ladder, climbing up the wrong pillar. When God says, look, I'm doing this for a reason so that I will be declared all in all. We have such a hope that's within us. We have the wherewithal to go through any trial in life. And the secret is, is being on the deck, looking at the beautiful view, having the beautiful fellowship with Christ, not just simply going through all these things that we have to go through. Now, what about you today? You're crawling up that wrong pillar? Are you going up the wrong pillar and you're, you're not even in the, the house with the deck? You don't have that fellowship with God at all? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ into your heart. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you right now to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. If you want Jesus in your heart, pray with me now. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart, and I ask you, Lord, to come in. Forgive me of all my sins. Help me become the person that you want me to be. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, would you look this way? In the interest of time this morning, because we have something else to take care of with our members, I'm going to ask you to take this welcome card as we did on, on Easter. And I want to look, you looked at it, and Brandon told you before to fill out the front. So here's what I want you to do in the next uh, minute or so, is look at the back of the card, and you'll notice in the top right-hand corner, my decision today, I'm receiving Christ in my life. If you prayed that prayer with me, um, go ahead and put a check in that box, and that way we can follow up with you and make sure you get the literature you need. In fact, what I want, uh, whoever's in charge of these cards, if I could get those cards this week, especially this week, and let me pray for those that have made that decision. There's other decisions on here as well. Response to God's word today, our prayer request, we faithfully take these to the Lord. And in just a few moments, we're going to receive the offering. And so if you are a guest, whether you're going to put anything on the back or not, we, we would appreciate it so much if you would just go ahead and fill out the front and place this card in the offering plate, and that'll be your offering uh, to us today. But if you made a decision of any kind, I want you to go ahead and fill it out and make sure it gets in there, okay? And so we can, we can help you and uh, help you better. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for um, Lord, the message today, and thank you, Lord, for the word of God. The encouragement is there. God, because Jesus has been resurrected, we're going to be resurrected. Where are we going to go? Well, if we've received Jesus, we'll go to heaven. If we haven't, then there's another kind of death called eternal death. And that is an eternal separation from you. And, Lord, we want that for no one here. And, Lord, I know that you want that fellowship with them as well. I know that you want that relationship with them. So, Lord, I pray that you'll draw them with your spirit today. Pray that you bless the offering now. Bless those who have made decisions. And, God, help us to help them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to turn your attention now as the ushers come to the screen. We have a really good announcement for you this morning.